we just we're we're so fucking ready to talk about Seinfeld, ho. We love to talk about Seinfeld on this show because it's masters of our domain. You know what it is. It's the podcast that's allegedly about Seinfeld. Do we actually talk about Seinfeld? Scientists have as yet been unable to determine that. (laughs) It's me, Milo Edwards. I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Phoebe Roy. Hello. That's all she ever says. And this week we... I don't have anything to add to that. I never have anything to add. That's right. Um, and this week we have a very, very special guest, uh, expert on medieval Seinfeld tropes, Eleanor Yanaga. Eleanor, how you doing? Hey, yeah, you know, um, I'm really excited to make it clear that this has something to do with medieval. I, I, no, I have no idea how to work this into medieval history yet. You know, we'll, we'll fucking see. <laughs> we'll see. I'll get us off yeah. track. Don't worry. It, it'll be, it's coming. <laughs> the knavish Costanza with his many <laughs> schemes. Um. That would actually be a good bit, I think. Medieval Seinfeld. I would, I would yeah, watch that. We could watch that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I would watch. I would watch. I would help develop that. Why don't you like the apartment? It's got Waddle and Dorb. You love Waddle and Dorb. <laughs> I feel like every time I got to redo the Dorb, the apartment's closing in on me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I like, watched I the like episode. Dorb, I, I never wa- liked Dorb. Waddle is fine, but Dorb, it's too much. Um. Yeah, well, that's a great, great bits to just crack off the episode with. Um, I uh, this is quite a loose format show, Eleanor, as I'm as I'm sure you're aware. Fantastic. Let's uh, let's start by talking about Seinfeld and see how we go. Uh, mm. Lord knows it will go off the rails at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah. you've already alluded to the opening bit. Um, <laughs> okay, so all right. I feel like I've got a different, a slightly different relationship to Seinfeld than you guys, mm-hmm. because I, you know, I'm a wise elder millennial, you know? And like, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. w- when I was, you know, like 11, 12, okay. So like the real fucking jam, the real Thursday night jam yeah. was if you could wangle the TV, like, you know, I'm was like, we were like one TV household. If you're lucky, uh, like, mm-hmm. but with six people in it, but my parents would like give me a pass to watch my so-called life on a Thursday night, and like the real jam was you'd watch my so-called life, oh, all okay. my friends fall by Seinfeld, and you would feel very, like you'd feel fucking witty and urbane, right? You'd be all like, oh no, I know what's going on. I'm definitely not eleven <laughs> or whatever the shit, you know. Um, like anyway, it, it would make you, it would make you feel like a grown up. Um. And then it was like, there was like this constant back and forth of like, kind of uh, what, what we in the States called must see TV. It was on Thursday nights and it was like, basically it was Friends and Seinfeld would be on. Mm. And then there was this like back and forth about what's more important, Friends or Seinfeld. And, you know, like the real G's who wanted to pretend to be intellectual would say that they liked Seinfeld. Um and I never really had much of a dog in this fight, you know, I and then eventually I discovered weed and, you know, it was all gone anyway so uh you know i kind of have like soft <laughs> mm-hmm. gentle feelings towards seinfeld um but it, you know fundamentally what it comes down to is mm. none of it was ever the simpsons and i was like the simpsons was the only thing that really mattered to me television wise uh consistently but right, right, right. um also it made me realize because of like you know how my you, you know, being young at the time when Seinfeld was on. Uh, yeah, your girl never watched like ep- like anything in season two before. I was like, what is this format? This is not the Seinfeld format. Like, I thought I knew what was up. I didn't know what was up. So <laughs> there you go. There's that. I've got I've got that to say. Because mm. like later on. Seinfeld that's as formatless as this show. Hmm. Because later on your Seinfelds, they'd be like, you know, there'll be the Jerry bit doing stand up at the beginning and the end. And I was very surprised when he popped back up in the middle. Mm. I was like, bitch, what are you doing here? Like, no one asked you to come back this early. And also, his <laughs> voice sounded extremely high. And I was like, what's going on here? Did he, like, uh, ah. I don't know. So, yeah, there's the, you've got that well, to look Before Jerry to. Seinfeld got on hormones. Mm. Like, my boyfriend, who loves Seinfeld because he's, um, he's Gen X, was all like, oh, what what episode are you guys watching? And I was like, uh, uh, and I was like oh, it's um, episode two. Uh, and I was like, oh, it's season two, episode five. And he was like, oh, that's a shame. Because he thinks that, like, you should just start from season three. <laughs> so, you know, there it is. Yeah. As is the, re- as is the repeat, the repeated, the repeated motif of this, of this show. It's like, you really need to start from season three. Uh, and, and I've sort of turned into this kind of, like, awful kind of portent giving hag. I just, like, turn up at people's houses with a lantern just being like, <laughs> you need to start from season three. Um, but we have not been doing that because Milo didn't listen to me. So <laughs> here we are. Here we no. are. 
Well, I, mean, I refuse to follow Phoebe's advice. I won't do it. Yeah, I never that's will. true. I and, never and, have. And how's, I wish how's I that had going like... for you, fam? Yeah. Well, I tell you what, the podcast is going better than all the other things. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, no, that's fair. All right, yeah, okay. No, no, no I'll accept that. It's very difficult to get down to the duck, dick sucking factory right now, Phoebe. Okay, yeah, like, that's true. That's true. It, it he he true. can't, you know. So, like, that's not his that. fault. It's not his fault. We can well, only really measure. The trouble is because of COVID, the dick sucking factory has had to move to a glory hole system, which <laughs> yeah, is, is kind of it's workable, but it does slow the throughput quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it takes a lot of the joy out of it. You know, I feel very alienated mm. from my labor, etc. So everyone's just having to like, <laughs> everyone's just having to like put their dicks in like the kind of the vacuum tube and just like hope it ends up in a mouth. That's just what's happened mm. at the dick sucking factory. Yeah, it's very sad. That extremely sounds like it could be a Seinfeld bit. <laughs> yeah, you know, like yeah. I mean, as I as I'm sucking the dick, I'm just so intensely aware of all of the, the like sort of sixty percent or so surplus nut that my boss is keeping for himself. <laughs> um, that's uh, that's how it gets me. Um, but yeah, we have already we have already alluded to the opening bit, which yeah. is where Jerry talks about how he hates painting his apartment because as he paints his apartment, he can feel it just getting slightly smaller because of the the added layer of paint. Um, and for me, I was like, for a second, I was like, dude, you paint your apartment? Mm. Like, what? Who does that? Well, so a lot of this particular episode was interesting because it threw up these kind of like old New York like tropes mm. about renting that I'm pretty much only fucking aware of from like rom-coms yeah. and stuff like this from the 90s uh-huh. um, or like um, occasional, you know, like New Yorker think pieces that'll be like written by old New Yorkers. And like, that's one of them, like yeah, the yeah, yeah. the idea where you're like allowed to paint your apartment or that you would be in an apartment for so long that you would you know, mm. paint it repeatedly and not simply like be kicked out onto the street at some point, you know, because they, they're trying to turn it around <laughs> and get more rent. Um, so, and I was like, that's a wild and B, it was like a little too real. Like the whole thing about like painting, making your flat too small. I was like, mm. this is maybe not the best like joke for the COVID times, but mm. you know, uh, <laughs> You can already feel the walls closing in. The last oh. thing you need is Seinfeld there, the kind of harbinger of square footage. Yeah, no, it's, it's not. It's just not the best joke for the UK as well, because you're watching that and just being like, if I try to paint my flat, then my landlord would invoice me somehow, like somehow, like spiritually, like I would be charged for that, maybe in my sleep or something. <laughs> Because even <laughs> if you it make their shitholes better, you still you're still on the hook. You're still on the hook for making their shitholes better. I want I once lo- I once lost a substantial part of a deposit. Yeah, well, they might up the rent on you. They're like, oh, this is now worth more a month. Yeah, I no, I once lost a substantial amount of a deposit for for replacing a piece of shit plastic IKEA wardrobe with like an actual furniture wardrobe which i then couldn't take with me and so i said oh well i'll just leave the i'll just leave the wardrobe there for you if you you know if you if you want to just keep it in the in the flat for the next tenants and they were like yeah no we are gonna have to uh we are gonna have to charge you uh for the cost of replacing the uh the previous wardrobe there for yourself and i was like what are you talking about this is a nice piece of you know what you know what it's kind of, oh, they were doing cop voice. It's kind of table state. Now, you yourself, yeah. you replaced the wardrobe, which was purchased by the gentleman, so we will be having to uh, deduct the wardrobe that you yourself purchased for yourself uh, because the gentleman, uh, he'd already purchased a wardrobe, which you, you replaced for yourself, so the gentleman will require a deduction from, from the deposit paid by yourself uh, in order to uh, refurnish the wardrobe in the accommodation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wanted to paint a flat in camp, my first flat in Camberwell, which was, uh-huh. you know, extremely wild. It was great because, uh, you know, not to like, you know, Elaine, the what the rent Elaine that is offered in this episode is much lower than mm-hmm. I. But I was like my first flat in Camberwell was, I think, like it was under 800 quid a month for a one bedroom flat, which was like a oh, minor wow. miracle. Okay, so this is. Yeah. So this is. Yeah, I mean, this is the year of our, about back in the day. This is the year of our Lord 2010. Um, when I, when I wrangled this sweet deal, uh, but like it it was, uh, the top half of a Victorian flat that was basically like, eventually the whole thing got sold out from underneath me. I was homeless for a few months. It was great. Uh, and, uh, when it got sold, like the entire thing had to be gutted because it was like so fucking illegal. Like we had electrics. It was just like wires outside the wall and stuff. Like when it would rain, it was just like waters through Mm. the room. It was, it was intense. 
But um, the kitchen, there, there was just kind of like a stove next to a wall and it had like, there was no splashback or anything. And there was this emulsion paint. And I was like, yo, can we just like paint like some gloss paint mm-hmm. on? Because, you know, I'd be wiping tomato off the walls and I'm taking half the paint with me. And like my landlord was all, yeah, no, this is like mm-hmm. special emulsion paint. I was like, mate. <laughs> <laughs> like this is this entire house is about to be condemned. Like this is not this paint is I'm asking you if there's a way that I can protect your wall better. And he was like, no, no, you can't paint. And like that's that's my painting experience in flats. It's like just no. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't like. I feel like landlords are a bit like the Soviet Union, ironically, in the sense that their policy <laughs> is to basically make everything illegal. So that then if they choose to fuck you over for any reason, they can. Because like any, any of the process of living in an apartment is against the rules. Mm. Yeah. So if they suddenly decide they need some of that deposit, they can just be like, oh, yeah, you've been breathing near this. That's no good. That's so, yeah, so, that so was in the tenancy agreement. So specifically yeah. no breathing in this corner. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be 500 quid <laughs> to get that replaced. The breathing corner. Oh, man. Um. But uh, yeah, so this is a, this is a very it's a very like landlord centric episode mm. of Seinfeld. We get to meet Seinfeld's landlord mm-hmm. and his like um, uh, kind of Central American friend uh, who is kind of of like kind of ambiguous Hispanic ethnicity. It's not it's not necessarily clarified where he's from. Mm. I was like trying to follow the accent, and I was like, I think this is maybe meant to me either Cuban or Puerto Rican with this accent. But yeah. then I, I but it, and it also wasn't clear to me like were they a couple. Yeah, I couldn't make sense of that either. Because I was like, it might be that they're a couple because of this whole thing about, like, who's choosing to live in the flat and this kind of, Mm. like, that they both have equal say, in theory, of who's going to live in the flat in question. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't really understand what their relationship was. Like, at first I thought that the the guy, the Spanish-speaking guy, was, like, a a handyman who worked for the landlord because that seemed to be implied by what the landlord was saying. But then later that he's like making some decisions about who gets to live in the flat. I didn't, I didn't really understand it. Yeah. So I it was just completely unclear to me what was going on there. But, you know, I was choosing to read it as queer because why not? Mm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, why not? Spice up, spice up your Thursday, you know, by in, implying some queer relationships in Seinfeld. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just pointing at a, tra- a character in Seinfeld and just going trans. <laughs> exactly. Just make That's it more it. fun for yourself that yeah. way. Absolutely. That's how I we agree. get the representation um, in. <laughs> yeah. So the basic the basic plot of the episode is that uh, Jerry finds out that uh, his the, the, his upstairs neighbor, who's an old lady, has died by speaking to the landlord. The apartment's become vacant. The rent is $400 a month. So he then goes to Elaine because he's very excited that uh, she wants to live there. So he tells her that she can have this apartment for $400 a month. She's very excited. And then... He immediately regrets this because she says, oh, I'll be here all the time. And he's like, yeah, all the time. And I'm immediately thinking, like, the whole thing with Seinfeld is that they're all there all the time anyway. It was... I, de- I was so frustrated by this. I was so frustrated yeah. by this because I was like, are you joking? How could she possibly be in this fucking apartment any more than she already is? Like, it's... It, mm. it, she's there. That's the, the whole fucking point, is that they're in this apartment. I was like, actually, maybe it'll get her out of your fucking apartment, because maybe her thing is that she just likes being in this building, and then she can be upstairs, yeah. and not in your fucking flat. I don't, like, I... Ugh. <laughs> this bit drove me a bit crazy, because I was like, in the first place, this is my idea of, like, the best time. I want all of my friends mm. to live in an apartment building with me. I want it to be Absolutely. like uni again, and ideally. <laughs> You know, like at the at the moment, I'm basically just trying to collect everyone into Southeast London. That's the best I can get. But like, you know, for me, that would be the <laughs> ideal is that I would just slowly like I would accumulate a building and then put all my friends into it. So I was very angry at Jerry mm. for like turning his back on my like, you know, communal utopian future. A friend zoo. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> and actually, I think you fucking be in each other's faces less. I do. I do. I think yeah. that you'd be like, oh, no, well, we're all here. Well, we can say <laughs> the hi. Menagerie of the fellas. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it's just a boy zone. That's that's what it's going to be. Oh, like, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's going to be great. My future, that uh, Jerry. That would have is- been cool if all the guys from boy zone lived in an apartment <laughs> block together, like one apartment after above the other. Yeah, that would be a set I feel call. like that should have been a reality TV show. Yeah. Mm. Knock it off up there, Stephen, would you? I'm trying to get some sleep. (laughs) Stephen's the one who died tragically. I'm trying to listen to Magic (laughs) FM. 
Milo. He did, but he would have still been alive at the time at right, this point. Right, I see. So, okay. so you're doing what? what? Uh, I wasn't saying he was making noise by dying tragically. That wasn't the no, implication no, of the I bit. I didn't say it was the implication. I think it is now. <laughs> it's become the it's implication. Become the implication. It's Jesus. escaped my authorial intent and become it's sentient now. So, so death of the so uh, so yet another tragic well, death. Reckon, a, a tragic death of the author. The author being Milo, who was just taken off his jumper. That's, right. That's me. I, oh, look at, I assert look my at moral that. right to be identified as the author of that bit. <laughs> what? I just, just took off your jumper. So I was uh, just... Uh, just <laughs> That's a little eye candy just for the like, ladies yeah, here. Just, like being, just, just being a little, oh, bit, just like being a little uh-huh. bit raucous about that. <laughs> Oh yeah, you know, like suddenly uh, we we've got tickets to the gun show. Milo is just uh, <laughs> hooking us up over here, so this is great. You know, you're all you're all missing, yeah. you know, some prime prime beef over yeah. here. That's what it's like hanging out with me. It's just like a, a questionable bit about Stephen Gately, followed immediately by the gun show. That's the Milo Edwards experience. Um. Uh, um. Yeah, so what, what if we all lived in one block of flats and then I could come to mm. your flat and sexually harass you all the time, Milo? What about that? You know? Like Actually, that'd, we'd love that. That'd be great. I, you know what? Yeah. My life is ex- intensely lacking in sexual harassment currently, so there I you have go. to say. If there's one thing. Look, when we establish the boy zone, A, Jerry Seinfeld mm. cannot come. Mm. But B, you know, yeah. like that's that's going to be on tap 24-7. Jerry Seinfeld would just be trying to bring his 17-year-old girlfriend in constantly in the first place. So that's against the that's against boy zone rules. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah well, cause she's she's not got guns at all. No. No. They're very wiry at that age. <laughs> no good. <laughs> that's what he likes, apparently. I don't yeah. know. Allegedly. Um, yeah. I mean, allegedly well, it's, been, it's been like <laughs> allegedly. Yeah. It's been like a running, a running thing on this podcast that if anything, implausibly, the Seinfeld characters are always with each other, no matter what the context, such as the time George and Jerry go to the doctor together, as though they have some kind of joint medical condition <laughs> that needs attention. I, like, I, like, I don't think this is so, I don't think this is so weird. Like, if, if, like, one of, if, if one of my friends wanted me to go to the doctor with them, I'd go with them. Like... It's, yeah, but why would one of your doctors want you to go? I, like one of your doctors. I don't know. Maybe your friends are doctors as well. Like I don't. It's, but I, I just can't. You know, maybe moral support. Well, like I can like see. The, but then, even then, I would think that you would just like take them to the waiting room. At the moment, this to me has the status of a fun day out, a trip to the doctor, because this is all. Yeah. This has all been going on for quite some time. So if someone said like. I've got to go to the. I've got you know. I've I've got I've got a weird mole. I've got to go to get that checked out. You know, would you would you come with me and hold my hand? I'd be like, yeah, fuck yes. And I would show. I'd show up with. I'd show up with tins for the waiting for the waiting room. I would be so excited. Like I'd yeah. I'd, ha- yes. I'd have my I'd have my getting ready <laughs> to go out playlist cued. Like wearing something like, like maybe a little bit too young mm. for me. You know, the whole getting my Diane the Abbott on in the yeah, doctor's exactly. waiting room. That's what we love to see. Pre gaming in the waiting room because I'm so excited just to be somewhere that's not my fucking house yeah. or the fucking park. I actually. I, these days, I take my mum to a lot of medical appointments. And do you ever find yourself trying to just like gently, gently tailgate in on some free medical advice? <laughs> like you got, you can't be fucked to go to the doctor about something, but you've just got like a minor, and you're just like, while I got you here, do you? I just there's this thing, like, yeah, very, yeah, like just you know uh, when I move my leg, what about that? Yeah. You could pretend. You could pretend. Yeah, that's my pre- my mom your, goes to a physiotherapist, and every mom. time I blag like a free five minutes at the end. Just like, yeah, my knee. Yeah, but you could pretend it's for your mom. I was mom. going to a physiotherapist before, you know, millionth lockdown. Mm. <laughs> <Was that laughs> so- the reverse of the T-shirt where it's like, I don't need a gynecologist, but I'm going to get my money's worth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I might have a uterus. No one's ever checked. Get me on the stirrups. Hey. Well, you know, we, we're doing that at home now, apparently, according to like our boy. Uh, you know, that's a, yeah. The, like, yeah, we're doing cervical screenings at home now. So, you know, that's a, that could be that's your sweet. brave new world with your friends. Like, <laughs> good night in the stirrups. Hold on a second. We're, do- we're doing what? Yeah. We're doing what now? What do you mean we're doing cervical screenings at this home? This is real. This is real. What the f- this- 
I'm telling I am telling you that Matt Hancock yesterday or something was all like, oh, you can do at home cervical screenings. And everyone was like, sir, do you know where a cervix no, is? No, you we don't mean like a regular neck. <laughs> no. We don't like it's not yeah. it's not that neck. It's a whole different neck. Yeah. It's another yeah. neck women that we're keep, talking women about. Women keep the cervix at head office. They don't keep it at home. Mm. You gotta go in for the cervix. It's like the yeah. mainframe. Yeah, and like and literally it was like, nah, brah. Like what are you like but then also I mean, real talk, I was uh, chatting to my mom about, like, healthcare in the 70s, as one does, and she was talking about, like, mm. going all kind of, like, uh, Black Panther sexual health clinics and, you know, like, random ones out in, like, Boston and stuff, other stuff. And she's like, yeah, I went to, like, some very, like, uh, run by, like, super, like, militant lesbians one, and they, like gave me my own like speculum and sent me home with it like you know check your badge out girl here's your own speculum and it was like extremely what was going down in the 70s so i don't know like i realize i you know i'm out here making fun of matt hancock like a that. party bag from the gynecology clinic yeah and, like her boyfriend had taken her to like the lesbian gynecology clinic they were like they're mean mugging him like what the fuck is this guy doing and then she came out she's like i'm not bro i got a speculum <laughs> he was like what so you know the seventies yeah. were fucking wild, y'all. That's all. That's what I learned yeah. mostly. This was, of course, this was the the bawdy nineteen seventies sexual health clinic. Yeah, this is extremely uh, like um, just all all of the commie sexual health clinics that were setting up in America before you know the CIA saw to that allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. Well, now we now we um, have grown. Well, now we allegedly have, like, mostly because I feel like the CIA is very incompetent. Now we have grown ups in the White House, and you know, and everything's very cool. You now get like a sick. <laughs> you now get like a CIA branded speculum mm. that you can take home. <laughs> <laughs> now that's what I call surveillance. <laughs> we, we are looking. We are looking into the vulvas of uh, women up and down the country. I, I could do a we're through the looking glass joke here about how the word speculum yeah. means mirror yeah, in yeah, a medieval yeah. sense. Yeah, do it. Oh. I was, I, I, no, was, I, go. was just gonna say, hey, they, hey, look, I brought medieval I history. I was just gonna say it. cervix valence. So, like, you're just several steps ahead of me on the like the smart <laughs> on the smart on the smart front there. <laughs> Although this has just reminded me that if, that a few yes. years uh, that's pretty oh, good. Thank you. Um, so, uh, yeah, it reminded me that a few years ago, I read this extremely embarrassing blog post about this woman who went to India and fell in love with an Indian bloke who uh, who sounds like a, who sounds like a real real piece of work. And one of the things she said, which was like was, was supposed to be a kind of description of like what a kind of wonderful otherworldly spiritual creature he was, was that he had the Latin word for mirror tattooed on himself. And I happened to know that this was speculum, and I thought this was the funniest thing I'd ever heard, I'd ever read in my entire life. <laughs> so if I can find this blog oh, post, God. I will yeah, send imagine it. Imagine mistaking a medical fetishist for like a deeply, <laughs> a deeply involved soul. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, he's he's deeply involved. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Dang. That is right. <laughs> yeah. Hitting the back walls I mean, like, of your mind. Okay, wait, all right. So I've got I've got a bridge. Cool. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Look, I have a bridge back to Seinfeld here, which is, you know, okay. talking about, you know, sex and speculums, etc. Here's the other thing that bothered me about the situation. So in the first place, um, you know, Jerry complains about the idea that his friend would live with him. Okay, so that's annoying in the first place. Mm. In the second place, I'm super annoyed with the fact that, like, he categorizes his relationship with Elaine as that she is his ex. Because, mm. like, don't get me wrong. Uh. Like, like they, they definitely fucked, right? And they were dating. But, like, what is the proportion of Elaine and Jerry's relationship that was friends versus, like, dating? Because it really yeah. seems like, at least over the course of the show, they spent a lot more fucking time as friends than they did, like, you know, dating mm. or whatever. So why, like... You know, I've got friends that I like, you know, had sex with like once one time and I don't be all like, oh, yeah, this is my ex. The most important thing about us is that we had sexual contact once. Like, you know, like if you if you're friends for mm. several fucking years, surely the fact that you're like in an ongoing like relationship, which is characterized by your friendliness to each other becomes more important than the fact that you like final stop for referring months, to you as like, my ex, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, right, Milo. Fucking hell! Have some respect. <laughs> I completely I agree like, I mean, with no, you. Seriously, like, what's the tipping point? 
I completely agree with you um, or in principle, but in terms of the context of the temporal context mm. of the show, they really aren't supposed to have been trying to be just friends for that long at this point. So the the, sh- the show starts with they are supposed to have literally oh. just broken up and they're trying to like give give it a bash being friends. They're not supposed to have been friends before they started dating. They're supposed to have met, dated, hadn't worked out. So they decide to give being friends a shot. Mm. So at this stage, mm. they're still relatively new to the idea of having to maintain a friendship dynamic, having dated. And as the series goes on, there's very, very, apart from the occasional sort of callback and kind of revisiting, there's very little, uh, there's very little of the idea that, uh, that they are not now just friends. Like there's, there's, there's a lot less of stuff about, oh, I feel weird, like dating around her and, and that kind of thing that like that, that, that goes and tails off. And I think quite Mm. a, quite a weirdly naturalistic way considering these are four ageless individuals who never go to bars or parties mm. and accompany each other to the doctors like a fuck, like a like a pack of weirdos right so that's the naturalistic thing the way yeah. that like, Jerry it's, and it, Elaine it's really strange off. that like like how come these motherfuckers even live in New York <laughs> if they have absolutely no interest in anything outside of like Jerry's apartment and one like well, Jerry's apartment in, in New York? Shop. So I mean that's what that's what keeps them there really. Uh, I mean, it's just like I don't. They, I mean, granted, you know, four hundred dollar a month rent notwithstanding, if Elaine had managed to lock that down, like it's not exactly a cheap place to be hanging out in someone's flat. Yeah. Like, you want to do that, you can go down to Charlotte or some shit. I yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, also like, the thing that consistently borrows me is that I, I believe in the logic of the show. Uh, Jerry is supposed to have dumped Elaine for some reason, and th- th- this gives me no peace. I I feel like if I'd have been Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> in that situation, I would have known what known what side my bread was buttered on. Um. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Explain it. I mean, that is one of the the things that that I'm constantly struck by whenever. They say the sexual chemistry was off. That can happen. Uh, Mm. Mm. I mean, well, you know, I just think that one of my major things every time I watch Seinfeld again is I'm struck by um, what a Stone Cold Babe uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus is. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, and then it. And then there's the rest of the cast. Yeah. You know, so Absolutely. I mean, I'm stuck by what difficult. a Stone Cold Fox stanza is every time. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, like, this was a real one of those winning episodes uh, for Costanza and the ladies oh, as yeah. well. Mm. Too. So moving us on, actually, because then after we get the initial thing about the apartment, then there's another bit. Uh, we get another bit, uh, which is where uh, Seinfeld says that the life, life should be like the movies. Like, you should be able to just, like, if you say the wrong thing, just be like, cut, we're going to retake that um, and say something else. You know, he should just start a podcast where, yeah. you know, and, and get Nate to Absolutely. edit it out. I yeah, that's what we do. Slime. <laughs> that's why I, my entire life is a podcast. I mean, like, the, my, my issue with this bit <laughs> as a comedian is that it's like one of those things that's like it's a, it's a premise that's based on nothing. It's just like, what if that? Um, like, what if life was like the movies? Like, okay, well, it isn't. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> like it's just very like, yeah. Wouldn't you? Uh, what, what if you could fly? Yeah, that would be cool, I guess. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not. You know, for like a theoretical observational comedian, it's not very observational, is it? No, he's like- observed how it isn't. <laughs> God, you know what life isn't like. <laughs> You know what this situation doesn't remind me of uh, is living mm-hmm. on Mars, uh, which would be cool, in my <laughs> opinion. So we should do that. Although I bet the the food on the spaceship would be pretty bad. I'd probably have a lot of bits to do about that. Um, uh, so that that bit concludes, and then we get then we get some Costanza, um, because oh, yeah. uh, Jerry tells Costanza about this apartment dilemma, and then Costanza's like, "You can you can have to have sex at women's apartments. You're not going to be able to bring women back to your to your apartment." Um, I don't know why Costanza is surely <laughs> turning into Mark Wahlberg in my I was imagination. Say, like, what is this Costanza Jerry, voice fuck? that you do? You're gonna have to take. Do you think you're a big man? Do you think you're a big man? You're gonna bring women back back to your apartment? You can introduce them to your ex girlfriend. Is that what you're gonna do, Jerry? Is that what you're gonna do? You want to take them to the aquarium Costanza, and see the shark? Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna stop nine eleven. Is that what you're gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's all right. Uh, 
And uh, then there'll be that'll Spe- be really funny speak- if I just started predicting. Speaking that, of cool. speaking of no. which, have either of you ever read the uh, spec script that was written by one of the like one of the writers, one of the kind of the, the sort of long term writers, which was a which was a spec mm. a spec script about nine eleven, about how the about how the no. about how what like what the Seinfeld 9-11 episode would be like, it is fucking amazing. It's really, really, really good. Remind me to send it to you. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm going to dig that the fuck <laughs> yeah. out no, no, after we're to, done no, here because I'm extremely ready for it's that great. in my evening. Like, it's, it's, got, it's got like Costanza Teasing stealing 9 future 9- content here. Yeah, it's got Costanza stealing 9-11 bereavement valor. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful stuff. And it's so in tone oh my as well. God. It's so like it's so well that's actually done. Kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's interesting oh. because it is because it is together just okay, to do that's that. Really, that would so, have been good. Because it because it is very it is very a like the whole show is very atemporal and it's also like very apolitical. Apart from later on, there is one episode mm. which is about the uh, which is about the mayoral election about the New York mayoral election. And there are two versions of this episode. So there's a Giuliani one and there's a Dink and there's a Dinkin one. Um, because they recorded it and then they thought that they would just screen whichever whichever one whichever one won uh won this election. And it's this and it's and it's sort of quite it's quite incongruous because it is so uh, it's so deliberately we have no idea. I mean we have some idea, but we don't really have an idea of what the context these people are living in apart from so you so you're so you're you're very much you're very much in kind of magical realism territory with Seinfeld. So like if mm. you think too much about mm. any of the logistics, then mm. you just start to get really, really mad. But if you just accept it, if you just accept that these people are any age between 27 and 37, they they sometimes go to parties yeah. and sometimes go to bars, but it's pretty fucking rare. He is a comedian who does like tens, as far as we can tell, but also like also like performs on like mixed bills. But he's like earn, he's like raking enough money to like be the only person who's kind of consistently doing okay. Uh, mm. It's completely unclear where they're mm. meeting mm. their enormous array of potential sexual partners they're fucking following each other to the doctors but if you don't think about any of that then it's the best show in the world if you start thinking Mm. about it then you start thinking you know what fuck magical realism fuck this and then you start and then you start thinking about maybe (laughs) maybe throwing your fucking realist seinfeld just like they're having a conversation about they're having a conversation about the rent and then suddenly like ah it is the it is the mysterious gypsy melchiades uh, come, come to show showcase his spyglass that can see the future. Um, hmm. Actually, I guess that's just Kramer. Kramer is the magical gypsy. That's Kramer. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I um, I watched the other day. I rewatched the one where he somehow gets a hold of the Merv Griffin. Oh God, stage, that's so and, like, good. That's a that's a barnstormer that's of an so episode. Good. It's really good that one. Um, yeah, you know. Well, one of the things, though, I have noticed, like, in terms of, you're right, it, it can be a real, Phoebe, you're, you're right, it's a real kind of, like, atemporal show. It just sort of exists. Mm. Except for, um, I was realizing, you know, one of the real differences about kind of, like, a dating culture mm. and that sort of stuff, especially in the, the Costanza storyline later. Yeah. Um, well, I should probably sit on that. But, you know, like, so there are profound differences now um, in terms of how we kind of, like, look at, like, flirting and picking people up and stuff like that. That's all I'll yeah. say. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, yeah. we, we well, should we can, get we can, on to that later. We but can cover I'm, I'm that now. because the Costanza storyline. Yeah. Yeah, the Costanza storyline <laughs> in this one, I think, is good so, because it starts off during this conversation about the apartment. Uh, Jerry drops this kind of, like idea to Costanza that like women are attracted to men who they think are married so like he could try wearing a Mm. wedding ring and they arrange for him to borrow Kramer's dad's wedding ring that Kramer has um Kramer is just like an incredibly baffling character because he's just like so like like it just like yeah he'll just lend you his dead dad's wedding ring to like for a bit like sure 
Um, it's our neighbor who exists to lubricate the storyline. Like whatever, whatever, whenever mm-hmm. there's a problem with the script, like Kramer is just kind of like wheeled in. He's the deus ex yeah. machina, yeah. you know, like he's, he's the thing that just kind of like, you know, instead of having plot holes, you just have Kramer mm. and that's, it's fine. It's just like, oh, there you go. That's he's how the, that's. He's the yeah. mysterious, he's the mysterious figure with the spyglass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, so he runs this wedding mm. ring. And then they decide they're going to do this sociological experiment mm. to see if um, women indeed are attracted to men who wear yeah. wedding rings. Um, and then off they go to this party. So here we go. There's a party. They see other people. And it's like a party mm. where Elaine's friend has a view of the New York Marathon. Yeah. Classic. And then Costanza proceeds to like work the room and A, Every single woman is like hot for Costanza, like in the first yeah. place. Although, I, Magical also, realism. I would, I will, I, I, again, they're like, all of them are like, this is the guy I really want to fuck. I'm trying to fuck him, but they're, they're all like, oh, but you're married. So, mm, no. And then, but I have like th- also, th- there's like three that they show, right? There's one woman who she's like, oh, yeah, I work for Madison Square Gardens and I can get tickets to any games. But here, and she's like asking about Georgia's theoretical wife. And, you know, but it's not clear to me there if she was actually hitting on him or if she was just like making conversation. And then George yeah. acted like, oh, yeah, that his mm. dick could get him. I, I'm like, man, yeah. I don't know if that was necessarily an invitation or if, like you're getting a little ahead of yourself. I would say that you're getting a little ahead of yourself. The second one is a hot lady who's like, oh, but are you really married? Because mm. I've heard of dudes who wear wedding rings to attract women. And he goes, no, you'd, you'd have to be a real loser to do that. And she's all like, yeah, okay, well, that's a shame because I'm, like, attracted to bald dudes who wear glasses. Um, <laughs> and, like, and then she's off. Yeah. I and mean, then, this like, just sounds like uh, e-girl is- and her podcast to BF territory, right? Like, I'm just really exactly. hot she's like, I came, guys I came to this party. I just got to have a co- podcast or came to this party specifically to have one. And, like... Mm. Then the third hottie, <laughs> real hot, is like, oh, yeah, well, I can't do monogamy. Well, actually, no, I, I think mm. that like it's 290s for that. She's like, I could never ha- only have one. It's very like she's got to have it ta- territory. Shout out to a spike yeah, yeah, yeah. Joint, like, mm. uh, joint. But uh, like she's like, I could never have um, like I could never have just one guy, but I'm able to have really long sustained sexual relationships with men that go for years and uh, and then because uh, so it's a shame that you're married. And George is like, no, 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 this is a sociological experiment. I'm not married. And she's like, yeah, nice yeah, yeah. try. And what I have to say yeah. about all of this is there's no fucking world where George Costanza is this hot of property. I'm sorry. Like, there just isn't. And in the second place, I kind of think that, like, you know, like, shout out to, like, the non-monogamous slut brigade of whom I am a representative. Like, you know, if someone is, is like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, but I'm interested. I'm like, okay, well, like, I would be like, all right, if, if, say I was actually interested, right? Which she's indicating mm-hmm. when she says, well, that's a shame or whatever. Yeah. It's like, then, then if someone is like, no, well, here's the story. I'll be like, okay, well, I'm going to, like, sit and listen to your story at the very least. Like, if I'm interested in shagging yeah. you and you've got a story for it, like, I will read it and do, I'll do, like, the bullshit detector on it. Be like, is this guy actually cheating on his wife or not? Nah? You know, because, like, I'm not trying to, like, I'm not trying to, like, home wreck or anything like that, you know. But on the other hand, like, mm-hmm. it's not really necessarily my fucking problem if I don't find out before. But if a dude's, like, waving a wedding ring around, sure. But my point is, a girl that fine who's all like, oh, you know, like, this is how into sex I am, but maybe with you, George Costanza, if you weren't married, would kind of sit and listen to the stero- the sociological relationship line. I feel. Yeah, I think so. But, um... Okay, this is, this is, this is interesting, because I, because what I, how I t- have, how I have taken this episode, going back to the magical realism idea, is that these women are, so they are they are corporeal phantoms which have been conjured by his wearing of the ring. So there's no way ah. that he would have met these women or have been exposed to both the fact that they want to fuck him and also their apparently different kind of axes of, of female perfection. So that so they got conjured into being when he put on the ring. And then as soon as he said that he's pretending to be married, the interest is lost. And the interest is not lost because she no longer thinks she's married and she only wants to fuck him because he's married. The interest is gone because he's broken the spell that he has conjured by putting on the ring. Mm. This is my so this is like this some is monkey my analysis. Shit. All right. 
Yeah, yeah it's interesting because exactly. you can't exactly. tell if it's supposed exactly to be like a morality play about honesty or whether the women are actually only interested because of the wedding ring. Exactly. Because, like, my thing is, like, also with the, with, with the whole point of this idea of, like, whether or not women are attracted to someone wearing a wedding ring, which I, you know, the, which my boyfriend was like, oh, yeah, when I was married, that was real. And I was like, was it? And then I was all like, okay, but, yeah, is that just that women feel like it's safer to flirt with guys who are wearing a wedding ring because you know that a guy is just going to flirt with you and he's not going to expect anything. So it's like just a fun thing that you can do. Is no, flirt I think with it's that, that men without- just assume that you're flirting with them all the time. So it's so yeah. it's more just like you're relaxed talking to a man that you think women is married. Women are either flirting or shopping. Yeah, no, no, that is true. <laughs> that be flirting or shopping. Yeah. Um. This is this is interesting yeah. because like I was what I was thinking. I was like trying to have like I was trying to do some. I was just trying to do some important work on myself. A little bit of self interrogation and thinking like, do I like would I find uh, like a wedding ring more like would that make 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 man more attractive to me? And mm. I don't think it would, but I sort of understand the point that mm. they're trying to make, which is almost like. It's almost like if you think about think about men like a jar, um, like when the when you've got like a new <laughs> jar of something and it's a pain in the ass to try and like get the lid off, but if somebody else has already taken the lid off, the the vacuum seal is broken, and in fu- on in the future it's easier to get the lid off the jar. So maybe the wedding ring it's like it's like a kind of like it's like a kind of broken seal symbol. It's like he's already been like broken in to. Mm-hmm. The, the idea mm. like if this is if this is like something that you're after and this is like your thing he's been broken into the idea of long-term commitment and he's kind of on a mm. sort of slippery slope thing so like well i've had one wife so why not so why not simply have another it's the yeah. first wife that's the heart that the hard one this man's the on the wife height mm. yeah that's the that's it's the like when homeless wife. people well, yeah, see yeah, you yeah. give one like, homeless so person money your... and then they come up they're like okay this is a money they're giver like, guy like, like this guy's a yeah, wife. Yeah, you're like I. I yeah. So once yeah, you're on the like, once you're on the wife trajectory, why not get just another wife? Wife trajectory, set was, trajectory to wife, <laughs> to wife. Well, I reckon like it was really weird <laughs> yeah. in this episode too because earlier on, like George is being wistful when like they're at the cafe, being like, "Oh, I'd like a baby," mm-hmm. and I was like, "What the fuck, George Costanza?" Like, I think that we drop that one. Yeah. Like that's that's definitely something that gets <laughs> dropped as we go along is like, you know, George as like a wistful theoretical father. I was like, yeah. no. Yeah, like, that was odd. I, Costanza actually though had my favorite line yeah. in the episode, which is when he's talking to the first woman at the party and she asks him, uh, what does your wife do? And he goes, She's she's a she's an entomologist, like bees and stuff like that. Um and I just thought that was just so fucking weird <laughs> that it was like a kind of beautiful comic line. Yeah, I really liked the the entomologist thing because mm. uh, I was like, that is something that no one's going to ask further questions yeah. about. You're kind of like, all right, good, we're going to leave it there. You <laughs> yeah. know, like that's just I don't really know what to do with that. Yeah, what's her favorite like, insect? Um, I I used to like when I would sit in. Like, it was one of those things. Like if I would uh, sit in the front of comedy gigs, which I would when my friends mm. were performing, not you, Milo, but other people. You were to the side <laughs> to get the best view of the guns. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I would often. <laughs> I would like sit there, you know, because like so that, you know, your friends could kind of see you and whatever. And um, I'm a terrible fucking person to do that. Like, oh, Mm. yeah. So what do you do thing with? Because like no one has anything for like I'm a medieval historian. They're not ready for it. Before you say anything, the dark ages refers to a lack of of sources. (laughs) That's exactly it. Look, look, you know, and so it's one of those. And um yeah, it, it, it kind of like it seems to me that like entomologists would be one of those where it's like, although actually, no, I think you could riff on entomologists a little more easily. You could make some yeah. kind of joke. Like, yo, about what about yeah, and make some kind of like you make some like bug jokes like mm. like like a commit like a comedian's not going up to you and being like this and being like the fall of Rome refers to the fall of the Western Empire. Like they're not going to do that because <laughs> that's not. Although, actually, no, that would make me laugh. That would make me laugh, which is why I'm not a stand-up What do you comedian. think of goths? <laughs> yeah, you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Women be gothing. I don't know. Like, sorry. I'm sorry. I take it back immediately. <laughs> that was bad. They'd be, they be attending really the bad. forum with their handmaidens. Like, if, you've got a lot of, if you've got a lot of goths in your show... <laughs> If you got a lot of goths in your show, yeah. that's uh, like goth visibility. You want the Visigoths in there? Ah, nice. Hey. 
that's what they were about. Oh, no, I hate that. <laughs> Get rid of it. <laughs> Ten. Yeah, they, they were yeah, all, the, they were all the about representation. Yeah, tender queer Visigoths <laughs> cancelling the Roman Empire. Look, when you start talking about this, <laughs> when you start, when you start, when you start talking about about the sack of Rome, uh, the Visigoths won't see this, but your Visigoth friend will. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, it's maybe will. keep that in mind. <laughs> Yeah, Rome fell because they started adding soy to the water, and it was just like a bunch of fanboys after that, you know. Made in Greek, baby. That's it. Roman fanboys. That's a bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good as hell. Roman fanboys. We can definitely, yeah. Jot it down. I'm looking for a fanboy named Roman. Jot it down. In ancient Greece, they basically believed that every boy was a fanboy. Uh, they sort of like really hated puberty mm. because it like ruined Ooh. boys and all their feminine qualities that they had. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, me too. Hard same. Ancient Greeks. Ah, uh, fuck. This one's turned <laughs> into a dream. man. It's just a know. really jacked young boy. <laughs> it absolutely is. Yeah. Like, I want to be clear. <laughs> for, for legal reasons. After, after I, you know, for legal reasons, after I talked about, you know, like being a terrible, horny person, I want to make it clear that I'm interested yeah, adult in adult men. who men. look like children. Straight not- adult men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Help. Oh, no. I've extremely brought look. this on myself. Ugh. Is this because I'm consistently the worst? Yeah. God. Well, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, moral, a moral quandary you can get people into because you're like, well, what's wrong with liking adult men who look like children? Are you saying that adult men who look like children don't deserve to be desired? Is that what you're saying? They should be excluded from... What is it? Are you you, you go you go tell G- G- Gordon Joseph Levitt that Gordon right Joseph now. Levitt, you hurt his, his brother, feelings. Okay. The dark mm-hmm. energy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I can't even get that motherfucker no. name right. Uh, I harbor a, like an insane grudge against him because my best friend was um, an extra in Ten Things oh, I okay. Hate About You because it was shot in Tacoma, Washington. Classic. Shout out! And uh, he refused way. to give her a popsicle on a hot day. Yeah, she's in the scene where um, they he and he he the scene where he and Heath Ledger are in the art room and like have a little uh, thing off. Uh, my best friend Patty's in the background wearing a very cool purple and red striped shirt, sorting paintbrushes. So shout out to Patty. Shout Amazing. out to Tacoma, Washington. Shout out to like basically everybody that I did community nice. theater with as a teenager is like in that mm. movie because they were just like. <laughs> cast and call for teenagers but i was extremely high in punk rock and too good to be in 10 things i hate about you and i regret that very uh, much now com- community so. <laughs> community theater eleanor like you're not because like, community theater because oh, yeah. you're really not you're not really not you're really not helping the eleanor is not a pedo case here <laughs> with, with yeah it's not <laughs> it's talking. not looking good is community it to be clear, i was a child at the time i was a minor i was okay. a minor oh, okay. at the time <laughs> I promise I've not, I have not done any community theater when since I, grew I was up, a minor. I got much more into so let's make scouts. it very clear. So that was my <laughs> Christ. This is time to move on from community theater. The worst day theater. of my life. I <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's what I did. Welcome, welcome to Pedocast, new from Barstool Sports. Mm. It would be like a funny bit, like oh, a guy, God. a guy oh, who no. keeps accidentally taking up professions that are full of nonces and then keeps quitting to join something else and accidentally joins a worse one, like starts out as like a scout leader and then is like, God, this is awful. And then he's like, well, I guess I better renounce sex altogether. Right. I'm going to join the Catholic church. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Ends up piloting for Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> Look, I just, I'm going to be like uh, 30,000 feet in the air. There's no way there can be any pedophiles there. This <laughs> He's a he's a veteran. No bad guys have ever been in the navy. <laughs> yeah, he's got a big mosque. He's a religiously devout oh, man. <laughs> he would never, never. Yeah. Oh, oh um, God. So the, the kind of the okay. other beats of the Ugh. episode um, are uh, that basically at some point the. <laughs> The landlord and his potentially boyfriend, potentially handman, poten- potentially handyman, potentially both, um, between them decide that they now want $5,000 for the apartment because someone else has offered it. And it's not clear whether someone else has actually offered mm. that or whether they're like making that up as a, like a business. Uh, but Jerry is yeah. overjoyed because he's like, well, there's no way she can. No, I think, I think 
you're supposed to think that they have. Yeah. I also, I didn't really understand this. Yeah, Again, this sounds like an American that's, thing. That's real? <clears throat> no? Like, in Britain, you can either offer um, to pay more rent, but I've never heard of someone offering, like, a flat sum of money to, like, buy the lease. So I am aware of the fact that this is a thing that at least used oh, okay. to happen in New York, and it no longer does, and it was referred to as, quote, unquote, key ah. money. And I know about this from, again, like New York right, or right, right. pieces or something. I think I, I was reading something about like mm. Nora Ephron or something. And it used to be a kind of way that you would get hold. But I didn't understand it in this context because the way that I understood it was y- you would like get hold of really nice apartments um, that had super low rent yeah. because of rent control. And then you would, uh, the person who was moving out, you would pay key money right, to okay. to secure the flat and like and the mm-hmm. low rent. And then they would like, I think for a while, then you would get added to the lease, and then they would take themselves off the lease. Right. And then you would have the same like super low rent, and you would pay them off. So that's the way that I understood. It. And I was like, but if they're the landlords, surely they could just like. But but then it's like maybe there is like some evil landlord over the top and these are just like the building building maintainers. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the thing. Like I think I think landlord is a different thing in America. Mm. I mean, obviously, you know, any listeners who know more about this than I do, please. People I, I don't say, understand the rich cultural don't. history do of landlordism in America. Never, never, ever correct <laughs> me about anything. No, but I, I'm pretty sure that there's like there's a kind of there's a sort of like a kind of paid job of being the landlord, and it's like mm. being like it's like being like the kind of building manager, but it doesn't mean that you own the building. Mm. Yeah, like I think there's also landlordism, at least in like the '90s and like the the aughts when I was living in Chicago, was a bit different um, as well. In that it was like the you, you would like there would be a big block of flats, and your literal job would be the constant maintenance yeah. that needs to happen in a big block of flats. And I mean, I don't really yeah. know like what goes on in terms of like smaller, you, you know, like I, I definitely grew up in like rented houses and stuff like that where that was definitely yeah. not the vibe going on with the landlords and the landlords would just be taking money and whatever. Uh, yeah, whereas but, British like, landlords are like maintenance? No. Yeah. yeah. So like <laughs> it, you would have basically, you know, some guy somewhere that you definitely get. Yeah. So like, that's what's not clear to me is like, well, are, do we mean like a landlord in the sense that these people definitely own it? But it's like, but they must because like, who's this money mm. going to? But then at the same time, if like you're, what you care about is the money, just raise the fucking rent. Like, I don't get it. Like, yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird, isn't it? I don't, yeah. I don't know what that's about. Um, but yeah, so maybe anyway, uh, it fi- transpires maybe more that, that it was fine. They were fine with the rent, but actually, you know what? I was about to like kind of do a sort of further dig into the kind of the practicalities of this, but then I realised that I'm actually not that interested in it. So let's <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> so Elaine is like actually, as it transpires, happy to pay the five thousand dollars, but doesn't have it. And so then, and then Kramer, Deus Ex Machina, walks in and he's like, Why don't you just lend her the $5,000? What's the problem? And then Jerry's like, Oh, uh, well. And then she's like, Oh, I couldn't take that. And he's like, I'll go on. You're a friend. Why wouldn't you lend her $5,000? And then eventually, basically, Kramer sort of engineers the situation where Jerry has to loan her the money. And then she agrees to the loan of the money. Um, and uh, there's. Uh, there's, there's like another thing where we've done the episode slightly out of order, but there's another thing where like uh, Costanza can't get the wedding ring off. We presume he gets it off eventually. Um, and then the deus ex machina at the end is that Kramer found someone who's willing to pay $10,000 for the apartment. So Jerry's off the hook. Uh, but he is quote unquote in the music business. And then the incredibly predictable punchline at the end is that they're doing like really loud band practice all the time. And so Jerry, by his own hubris, is brought low. Uh, because he once again like got the got the thing that he wished for and it was bad. I gotta tell you, um, like the music they were playing was extremely bad. Also, like I mean, I know that was part <laughs> of it, but I was like, oh, this is terrible. Like, just really garbage. Like real kind of like lad rock, but without the lads. Yeah, it was kind yeah. of like <laughs> a sort of Guns and Roses type vibe. <clears throat> that was kind of the uh, the energy. Uh, although I did think the music they were playing was like surprisingly well played. Uh, yeah, yeah, it ex- some guys doing band practice. It sounded, yeah, it sounded much more like a CD of some bad stuff that you, you know, in that. It yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly was a CD, but it, it was it in time. Would, it would also be funnier if it had been like you know poorly played. 
bad music. Yeah, I think yeah, in yeah. my opinion, just, just a note, just a note for one of the most successful comedy shows of all time. <laughs> that, uh, you yeah, Larry know. David, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he's more of a 10K post guy, but um, he does tune in <laughs> occasionally. So uh, good to, good to have right. you, Larry, with us. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then we have, we have a closing bit to the episode, which is Jerry does a bit about noisy neighbors. What's the deal with them? Um, and then... <laughs> He's like, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a shush guy. I don't, I don't shush. He's like, you know, when you're in the movie theater, there's some people who shush people who are talking. You never know where a shush is coming from. You just hear a shush. Is it, is it for you? Is it for someone else? And he's like, and there's some people, they're unshushable. They just keep talking. Uh, yeah, and then the, the, the unshushables. And I was like, mm. is this a reference to the untouchables, sir? Because like, yeah. this is bad and tenuous. Yeah, that yeah, was, yeah. they just, I. Mr. Nash. We're going to silence Al Capone. Now, I've been long working on the floor in Chicago. Sean Connery would be very good at shushing, to be fair. It's like the noise he makes most often. Ugh. He can't R. get R. through a word without saying shush at some point. That's true. That is very true. That is. Actually, The Untouchables is unironically, I think, one of the funniest films ever made. It, like, for a number of reasons, but primarily because of just Sean Connery throughout, just doing Sean Connery's own voice and going, like, listen, I grew up on the streets of Chicago, and this is what I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's what my dad sounds like, for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's how they talk in Chicago. My only yeah. understanding of the Chicago accent comes from Sean Connery's, like, fucking Oscar-winning performance oh, yeah. in The Untouchables. 100%. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's that amazing the scene where he gets not, shot, like, a hundred not- times and is still alive. <laughs> The reason I'm not involving myself in this bit is that Milo and I had an agreement where he wouldn't bring up Sean sodding Connery on this podcast anymore. Yeah. He definitely we didn't have an do agreement. You asked me. <laughs> yeah, no, and no, no, I didn't no. agree we to had it. An, we, had an, we had an agreement and now you owe me £100,000. That's like, unfortunately, unfortunately, we have a contract. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld is responsible for this rift, you know, so like, yeah. you know, go, go borrow it from Jerry. He'd be happy to lend you the money, Milo. I don't know. I'm trying I blame to Big bit. Jez. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, he should he should get involved. I wonder what Jerry Seinfeld does. He, I wonder if there's any point a Jerry Seinfeld bit about Sean Connery. Um, mm. Mm. That's no, the bit we're all be. waiting he's for. Not, he's, not, he's not interested in Sean Connery. Oh, I'm not interested in Sean Connery. In the 90s. <laughs> It's the 90s. Guy, Everyone's he's he's Scottish, but he doesn't sound Scottish. He just has a weird voice, and he does the same voice in every film. And maybe, people keep maybe, telling you he's a good actor. Well, I don't know. Maybe you go up to Scotland. They all sound like that up there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, like it, like with like with regards to its like uh, with regards to its atemporality, it also exists outside mm. of outside of most of popular culture. Like every so often, there's like a song that gets meant like a, like an actual real song mm-hmm. but it's always it's always mm. something that's like this, this doesn't happen until a bit later on but it's always something that's like really old like e- like really old even then like mm. there's no there's no like contemporary music in it and the o- and again mm. i really hope i'm right in this because if i'm right it's fucking funny the only actual film uh, sorry there are two real life films that are mentioned in this in the show there there are loads and loads of like of like fictionalized films but i think the only two actual films that are mentioned are home alone and titanic i think those are the two i think the the seinfeld uh world movie i remember most is a death blow um Death blow. Which, uh, I, think I don't know what that is. Death blow. We're missing the death, death blow. blow. You know, etc. We're gonna miss the death, death blow. blow. And I think there is, uh, this, this is this is later, Milo. This and is then, oh, wait, there's one about to. the Hindenburg. And there's one about <laughs> the Hindenburg. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And there's yeah. Rochelle, Rochelle, yeah. and there's sack lunch, and there's there's a prognosis negative. That like there are so many like amazing made up film titles. Prognosis negative is like the d- d- like uh, cheap universe diagnosis murder. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just Dick Dick Van Dyke right. just going to people like you don't have cancer. <laughs> It's a real uplifting film, okay? It's, yeah. it's one for these dark times. I'd probably watch that now. I'd be like, this is great. Uh, that that only... mole on your back, completely benign. <laughs> and uh, this guy over here just said that he finds it charming. He asked me to give you his number. <laughs> well, I think it's kind of gross, actually, but here's your speculum. 
Dick Van Dyke giving out specular. That would be a good show. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'd probably watch that. Yeah. A game show I- where you win oh, a speculum. God. At this point, I'll watch anything. Like, it's just yeah. as long as it's gentle and yeah. I don't have to pay too much attention. Mm. You know, it's fine. The grand prize is like a minivan, but the, the like the consolation prize is a speculum. But, you know, you haven't you haven't won the grand prize, but everyone who comes on here, they do get a branded Dick Van Dyke's uh, The Price is Negative Speculum to take home. So enjoy that. Uh. Uh, Well, I mean, I'm like vaguely exhausted by this episode. So like, yeah, it's been a a real in-depth and wide ranging discussion. I think this is the episode on which we've discussed the most actual Seinfeld. Uh, Sorry about that. No, that's all right. We appreciate being dragged, kicking and screaming into a format every now and then. I just got fucking wound up, you into know, the, into the subject just, of our own podcast that we have chosen. You know, like, okay, I guess that, like, if I'm going to actually do the research, and by research, I mean the watching of a pre-season three episode of Seinfeld, I'm going to force you to talk Absolutely. about it. So, yeah. 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 There you go. Um, right. I don't think season two is that bad. I think people, it gets a bad rap. No, but, no. You know, Aside from the vast plot uh, holes, I think it's quite entertaining. And also, like this this episode again, like you're really starting to see like germs of the of the extremely well done, uh, just kind of normal conversations that they have, which aren't to do with uh, which aren't to do mm. with like the kind of main plot at all. Like uh, like early on, it's very kind of mm. like okay, beat 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 beat. Every single thing is in service to the one A plot. Like there's not there's not there's nothing mm. kind of extraneous. There's no there's no like kind of padding. But of course, like that as as like the show goes on, that's actually what one of the best things about it is the is the padding and the and the discussion. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm very excited to see the little seeds and the kernels, and I'm also uh, having a really really fun time in spotting where the seeds of like future plot points and future bits and future storylines, which are like being kind of planted <laughs> or like or like kind of mm. like thought of, but like not properly kind of fleshed out and developed and. And I'm, you know, keep it and I'm keeping notes of them. And it's all very, it's all very strange, but I haven't been to a pub for many, many months. So this is kind of, (laughs) this is my pub, this is my pub now being in my house, Mm. making Mm. weird notes on brightly colored post-it notes and leaving them around. You got that in common, you know, with the Seinfeld people. Everyone's living room is their pub now. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's Great why this is point. the best Seinfeld podcast, because it's not really about the plot. It's about the bizarre digressions, the padding mm. that is part of it. Like, what What if the guy who's desperate not to work with pedophiles, but keeps accidentally finding <laughs> himself working in a pedophile rich environment? That, that would like, be, uh, you know, the B plot of this particular uh, podcast is is pumping. I love that one. I'm excited for exactly, that Exactly. Yeah. Like <laughs> Kramer is trying and desperately trying to get a non-pedophile job. We have we have formatted this episode, these episodes to be like an episode of Seinfeld. So yeah, mm. we've got our narrative, mm. but what's important is the is the surrounding discussion and digression, and not as uh, as mm. one of our one of our fans would have it, uh, two idiots who cannot stay on topic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That yeah, is but- tangential to the point of the podcast. <laughs> that that merely happens to be true, but is not actually important. <laughs> Meta comedy, right, well, baby. I, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, it, it remains for us only to thank Eleanor very much for coming on. Hey, thanks for uh, thank letting me so come much, to you know, this replacement pub. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> we love it when people come to this. Uh, yes. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, you know, help me out. I'm broke. Uh, if you want me swearing about medieval history, you can check out my blog going hyphen medieval.com. There's links all over there to my Patreon where I uh, beg for money. I'm going to go and uh, nice. record another podcast directly after this that you can see on my Patreon where um, I'm talking to a Magna Carta specialist about an episode of He-Man that uh, refers to oh. Magna Carta a lot. And we're going to talk about like how many okay. layers of fucked up that is. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, Amazing. <laughs> yeah. He-Man, weirdly, knows a lot of Latin. Uh, you know what? I've got a lot of things to say, but I actually have to go do that podcast. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yeah, we don't want to prejudice it too much. Tune in to Eleanor's Patreon for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, speaking of which, we have a Patreon. It's uh, $3 a month for uh, two bonus episodes every month and an additional movie episode every month. If you play $5 and if you pay $5, you also get onto our Discord server where you can talk to other Seinfeld podcast enthusiasts about uh, the two idiots who host this show. So uh, <laughs> sign up for that and we will see you in two weeks' time on the free feed or next week on the Patreon. Cheers and goodbye. Bye.